Hi everyone, just popping on before the episode today to let you know that this is the final episode of season one. But don't worry, if you stay tuned to the end, I'll give you a sneak peek at what you can expect from season two. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It to the Mic. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and today I'll be chatting with Jeremy Levy. This was really special for me because Jeremy and I have known each other forever. We met freshman year at Ithaca College as musical theater majors, and it was so much fun to reconnect and talk to him about voiceover. Jeremy works in commercials, promos, and animation, and he's the voice of Bumblebee in Transformer Cyberverse. There are so many gems in this episode, so let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Jeremy Levy. Hello, Jeremy Levy. How are you today? Hi, how's it going? Good. Welcome to the podcast. So I always love to start every episode kind of with the same question, which is, how did you make it to the mic and what did you do before voiceover? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Uh, I went to college with you. Me? Yeah, that's right. We went to college together. We, uh, We were musical theater majors. I thought I wanted to be like a a Broadway musical theater guy. And then I learned pretty quickly whilst at Ithaca College that if you don't like love musical theater, like really, really, really love it, you probably shouldn't do it because you're you're not, A, you're not going to make it and you're not going to have a good time. And like, you know, friends of ours had like Stephen Sondheim trading cards. I was like, oh, I don't like it that much. So, you know, started moving towards the acting side of it, uh, graduated college, had no idea what I was going to do. And I always thought about doing voiceovers because like when I was in college, I would always do these kind of funny voices. You, you remember movie phone? You're old enough to remember movie phone. A lot of people don't. Can you give us a little movie phone just for nostalgia? You know I can. So the movie phone guy, you would call up. He would tell you when the movies are. And he would say, hello, and welcome to movie phone. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press one now. So I thought that, you know, that's what doing voiceovers was all about, which is like, you know, sort of true. After college, uh, I found like a private coach and I took a bunch of lessons and I had a demo and... The, the next part of the story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave some people anonymous because it gets funky. It gets a little funky. So there was a person who I was connected to who said, you know, get me your demo and, and I'll get it to my agent, who is, who is a very big agency uh, in the city. So we met. We met for coffee. Uh, everything was great. By the way, I usually yada yada over this story. Uh, I've done that in the past. But recently, I'm like, you know what? It's all good. This is, this is part of the journey. And I think there are lessons to be gleaned uh, from this. Yeah, so we love lessons here. We do love lessons. This is, this is the, the lesson podcast. So uh, she brought it to her agent, and she set up a meeting. And I sat down with this agent, who, again, shall remain nameless, uh, is still an agent and a fairly big one. And uh, he listened to my demo. He looked at me, and he goes, oh, oh, oh yeah oh, we're going to make a lot of money. And I was like, sweet, great. He was like, I want to set up a meeting with you and, and the vice president of the agency. And I was like, I think you should do that. So I came back. I was in like the office of the vice president and like we're having coffee. Everything's going great. And he's like, listen, I think you're great. I think we're going to do great together. You ready to do this? And I said, yeah, I am totally ready to do this. And he said, sit back, relax. 
and wait for our call. And I said, great. And I'm thinking, I don't know why everyone says this is so hard. This has been pretty easy. I don't get all of these stories about like clawing their way into the business. Uh, And then I waited for the call. And (laughs) I waited, I waited one week and I waited two weeks. So I was like, maybe, maybe I should just call them. So maybe I'll call them. So I called the agent and uh, I may have been a little, I mean, I was 21. I was a kid. Uh, and I, I may have been a little glib. I may have been a little assuming. I don't remember exactly what I said in that voicemail. I may have ended it with, I love you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really remember. Yeah, I definitely talked to him like we were, I'd been his client forever and I'd made him a million dollars and I definitely hadn't. Uh, and he didn't call me back. So I waited another week and then I left another message. And then I was like, okay, he didn't call me back. And then I waited another week after that. And I was like, I bet the third time's a charm. And I left him another message. And then I got a phone call from the girl who initially brought my demo to the agent. And she called me and I was like, hey, what's up? And her response was, what did you do? I just got a call from my agent who said that Jeremy Levy is annoying, presumptuous, and a general pain in the in the A. And I was like, oh. Those are none of the things you want to hear. Uh, And she was like, listen, you know, I had to cut you loose. Like, you know, you, this reflects on me. So, like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, good luck. Next time, wait a couple months before you call back. Godspeed. And I was like, oh. And it really stung. And I didn't even think about voiceovers for, like, another four years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was a bumpy road. But I feel like that's an important lesson to learn. Don't overplay your hand. Definitely bring your personality to business relationships. But, like, make sure you have a relationship <laughs> first. I'm still, I'm still, like, a big fan of, like, keeping it kind of casual and, and being real with people and, you know, uh, not keeping it too stuffy. But, you know, I've learned to read the room <laughs> a little better in the past. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a real bumpy start to my career, if you want to call it a start. That's so interesting because I think that a lot of times people don't get that opportunity right away. So having that opportunity right away, like, of course, you had no idea what to do with it. You were like, I'll just keep calling because why wouldn't you keep calling if somebody said, hey, we're interested in working with you. But you're right. Like, what a great lesson to, like, let it simmer and, you know, maybe give it a little breath and then reach out again and just say, I thought we had a great meeting, you know, would love to continue this, you know, working on this relationship, but maybe maybe they just weren't ready for your um, tenacity. <laughs> yes, let's 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 call it that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's I think it's definitely better to err on the side of professional. But, you know, also like we're we're not in engineering, you know, we're not we're not in chemistry. We're not like we're we're actors, you know, and we're we're in a business that's filled with bubbly personalities. And I think I think it's totally fine to let yours shine through within reason. So I definitely I, I learned I learned the limits of uh, what goodwill will net you. So anyway, so I didn't do anything for years. I like had a couple like survival jobs and uh, I ended up working at a concierge company with two of our friends, Patrick Plunk and, and Eddie Cooper. Um, Eddie, who is now a star of stage and screen. Uh, the job was awful. I hated my life. And I was like, maybe it's time to get back into an acting class. So I got back into an acting class and we had a class where we kind of talked about networking. And our teacher was like, 
Like, uh, this young lady over here is a professional voice actor. If anyone was interested in doing voiceovers, I would take her out for coffee after class and pick her brain. And that's what I did. Uh, I still had this demo from, like, years earlier. And she gave it to her agent, uh, Susie Friedman, who uh, was my first agent and whom I still work with occasionally today. And Susie was very sweet. She's like my other Jewish mother. And she started sending me out. And I think I was, I was very lucky early on. I booked my first job like a month after she started sending me out. Uh, and then I booked a very sizable job that went on for like two years. I was doing like uh, commercials for Comcast. And I was able to quit the concierge job. And I've not had another job since. That's amazing. So what year was that, that you kind of went full time? Um, I think that was 2009. So I love that even though you had kind of a bad first experience, you you went right back in and made that connection again with a classmate, took them out. And then the same series of events happened where she passed her your demo along to her agent. But this time it worked out. Yes, I definitely got another bite at the apple. Um, and I definitely, you know, it took me like four years to sort of uh, gather my wits, which also like it didn't need to take me four years. I think that's that's also uh, a lesson to take away here. If there's anything I've learned about, I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend that like I'm the best at doing things to progress my career, but I have learned a very important lesson. And that lesson is doing something is better than doing nothing. Hmm. Even even if you think you're spinning your wheels, even if you think, you know, it's not going to amount to anything, you'd be surprised. You honestly would be surprised uh, what happens when you just just do it. Just do something. I love that. Yeah, I know. It's it's hard when you are in a rut and you're not booking anything or auditions are kind of dry and you're like, oh, I'm not I'm not doing anything. I'm not making any progress. But you're right. There's tons of stuff you can do that still furthers your career and kind of fuels it. But isn't the, you know, the kind of things we think of. Yeah. And even like, you know, just the act of of thinking about it and the act of like being proactive puts you in that mindset. Like it keeps you it, it keeps you kind of focused. It keeps you from losing momentum, e- even if, you know, even even if it's something little like working on your website, you know, just doing another polish on your website or, or something like that. Doing something is better than doing nothing. So did you build a home studio right away or were you kind of already working at a level and at a time when it wasn't so necessary? Um, the second one. I, I didn't build a studio right away because at the time, you know, I was, I was getting sent out and I was kind of doing it that way. And it wasn't until uh, I started working uh, with Innovative that they started sending me auditions at home and I... You know, I didn't have a studio. I bought like a Blue Yeti mic. I understood nothing about recording. I like recorded into Audacity in my bedroom, had no concept of like treating the room or like making some sort of a booth. And I also at the time like didn't really take the at home auditions that I was sent from my agent as seriously as I did the ones that I had in front of a casting director because I was like, well, you know, because I know when I see a casting director, there's a finite number of people that the casting director can physically see in this time. But my thought was, you know, 
these agencies are probably just sending this audition to everyone and probably competing against like hundreds of other people. So uh, I like I didn't even really try to make those better or to like, you know, book that way. Things have changed for me personally and in the business where like you can't get away with that anymore. I mean, like now you need a studio. That is how you audition. That is that is the business now. So I started to slowly get better. I used to um, just listen to my auditions on my laptop speakers. And I was like, you know, I, I think that sounds pretty good. And I think one time I put on like a pair of headphones and I was like, oh, that is, oh, that is bad. Oh, that sounds really, really bad. Uh, and there was this guy who I would sort of, I would do jobs for occasionally, like these little pitches and stuff, like not really big jobs. And one day I was like, wait, why didn't you tell me I sounded so bad? Like these recordings sounded so bad. He's like, oh yeah, no, your recordings sound really bad. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. That would have been helpful information. Yeah. Uh, things are going to know. So uh, I went from like my Blue Yeti and I bought like, you know, a reasonable, like a, like the SC2200 with it, which I think is like a 200, $250 microphone. I got my Scarlet Solo. Uh, I moved from my bedroom to my bedroom closet, uh, started recording there, and amazingly, I actually started booking uh, some of these at-home jobs, which again, information I could have used. If you have a, if you have a better setup, you actually can book some of these at-home jobs. And uh, since then, you know, since, since the pandemic, uh, my girlfriend is also a voice actor, so we have created a closet booth of sorts. We've upgraded to the Sennheiser 416. We have a solid state logic interface. Some other bells and whistles, I think. Some padding. Um, but yeah, this is this is our this is our life now. I just I just live in this closet. And how do you deal with the self-direction? You know, I know you were saying that earlier on in the business when going into your agent or to a casting director was, you know, more more popular. How do you, I feel like you're, you're such an easygoing person. Like, do you get wound up with self-direction? Are you just like, you set it and forget it. You do one take and you're out of there. Like, I'm, I'm so curious what your mindset is about self-direction. I, um, it, it really wigged me up because I, I do, I do crave direction. You know, we're actors. We, we crave attention and direction. Those are the two things that, that we crave. And I really like, I prided myself on being able to do whatever someone needed me to do but i just needed to know what that was like give me a target and i can hit it but yeah when that target got taken away i was i i was pretty wigged like i just felt like i don't i don't even know where to start like i spent so much time thinking is this right uh which is clearly the trap that everyone falls into you know especially if you talk to anyone now everyone's you know i call it auditioning into the void and you get no feedback and and you honestly have no idea i over the course of the past year have broken on through to the other side. And I was just like, okay, well, if I don't know what they want, then I'm just going to do whatever I want. Hmm. And instead of like working so hard to like nail these specs and which, you know, specs are important. I mean, you can't completely ignore them, but now I find it like a little bit freeing because now I'm just like, I don't even know if anyone's listening to this. I have no idea. I mean, people are listening to your auditions, to be clear. <laughs> but when you're, when you're not really sure, when you don't get that kind of feedback, when you are just sort of like yelling into the void, in a sense, 
nothing matters anymore. Like it, it's it's kind of freeing where it's like, all right, well, I'll just do whatever I want. So we we did like an exercise in our movement class when we were in college called basement dancing, which is uh, something I use a lot like uh, in all of my auditioning and in all of my recording because, you know, on several levels, we, we are sort of just in the dark. No one can see us. No one knows what's going on. Uh, just do whatever you want. Just like let yourself go. And that's when the magic happens. When you when you stop just trying so overtly to nail the specs and you just like go for broke and make yourself laugh or like make yourself cry or do whatever you find interesting, that's when you're going to start booking, to be honest. I love that. I feel like I personally needed to hear that advice today. So thank you. Sure. You're right. Like just bringing yourself to it and, and freeing yourself. And basement dancing is like the best because all the lights are off and you're just dancing and no one cares what you look like and you don't care what you look like. And and, you know, Rusted Root is playing or something. And uh, yeah, I love I love the idea, that visual of doing that in here, like translating that in here. I'm going to put up a sign that says basement dancing. Yeah, basement dancing. I mean, you know, I usually talk about that like when you're doing animation and you are just like, I'm doing crazy things with my hands and my face and I'm like contorting myself and I'm just getting super physical in the booth and I must look like an insane human person, but like no one can see me. So it doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's actually, it can be kind of freeing if you look at it from, from that perspective. Just, just go for broke. I love that reframe because I feel like so many of us get into our heads and then once you're in your head, you're stuck there. And what a great way to think about it, that it's it's the complete opposite. It's like it's freeing instead of it being limiting. Yeah. And I I mean, in addition to that, there's there was a frame of mind that I put myself in a couple of years ago that really kind of works for me. And I think it especially works under these circumstances. You know, like when people try to nail the specs or like try to get a super clean sound and like really try to work really hard to fit into whatever mold that they think they're supposed to fit into, either in the context of the commercial or like the kind of actor they're supposed to be. I think about celebrities, you know, and people in the voiceover industry get a little like, you know, have their thoughts about celebrities and in voiceover. But the fact is, like celebrities get that job because they're a celebrity. They're a celebrity for a reason. You know, Willem Dafoe is Willem Dafoe because he's Willem Dafoe. Ed O'Neill is Ed O'Neill because he's Ed O'Neill. Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd because he's Paul Rudd. I mean, these people have this certain thing that is uniquely them, and that's why people go to them. They're like, we want that thing that is you, and that's the reason we want you and no one else. So basically, like, when I go into a read, I just pretend I'm a celebrity. I just pretend that, like, they're like, get me Jeremy Levy. I want Jeremy Levy to do this. And then I just, I do whatever I want. You know, I make it uniquely me. I just pretend it's not true. But I pretend that, like, I just walked in there and I just, like, I did whatever I wanted. And then I left. And it makes for interesting reads. And honestly, I started booking more. And to that point, the celebrity isn't embarrassed or wondering if they're hitting the specs. Because the whole point is that they just wanted that person. Yeah. So they have no extra editor of, like, ooh, is this right? They're like there to do the job and they just do it. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> like they they honestly don't care. Like, I mean, like, yeah, they want to get it right. But at the end of the day, like, you know, they walk in with with big voice energy and they're just like, you know, I know you want me. I know I'm here for a reason. I know that I do the thing that I do well and that's why I'm here. And honestly, like that's 
whether whether it's true or not, if you walk into an audition or a booking like you're a big deal, even if you're not, you're going to you're going to set yourself apart in in a time when more and more people are trying to do this and competition is getting harder and harder and it's easier to get lost in the shuffle. I think it's important to embrace who you are and and what you bring to the table. And in that vein, like, you know, I used to like I don't have the cleanest voice in in any respect. And I used to like try to sound like those guys on TV and just and give these like really clean reads with all the intonations, you know, that I was that I was used to hearing. And then I was like, no one wants that anymore. That's true. Like no one no one wants those guys. Everyone they want people off the street. All you hear is all the time is like, we want someone off the street. We want just like a normal, regular person. It's also like I embrace my imperfections. You know, if it's like if it's not super clean or in in any way, shape or form, it adds personality. It adds texture. It it sets it apart. And I feel like that's so hard for us theater folk because we are used to rehearsing and, you know, perfecting the performance and then presenting it to the to the audience or to the whoever, the critics, the TV cameras, whatever. In the theater world, you don't ever show the imperfect performance. You only show the perfection. Right. And especially for singers. I feel like voiceovers can be very hard for singers uh, in ways that you wouldn't expect. But, like, when when you're singing, you you want to get that clean tone. Like, you want you want to get that clean tone. Like, you want to get your diction right. You, like, you, you can't bear to hear yourself waver. And it can be a real trap for singers to, like, try and get their voice super, super clean. And I don't think it's, you know, especially in this day and age, it it really behooves anyone. Yeah, it's true, because a conversational spec that everyone's looking for, I think there's so many parts to that. And it isn't just like that you're not performing to the mic, that, you know, you're relaxed, but it's like, I'm breathing, you can hear my sniffle, you can hear, you know, the things that make me stutter, that, you know, those things that make it sound like I'm having a real conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But it's so hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's 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 the hardest thing in the world. Like it is like letting go is letting go and trusting yourself is the hardest thing. But like, you know, I, I and, and I think like some of that gets easier. I think the longer you've been doing it because you do have some more of that confidence, you know, that like something you're doing is right. Like these days, instead of like trying to rack my brain about what intonation I should use. Now I just try to tell the truth. Like, I just come in and, like, I don't think about how clean it is. Like, I don't think about how I should intonate. I just, like, approach it as honestly as, as I can. You know, you just put yourself in the, in the voice of person that's hawking this product. And just, like, just honestly just be yourself. Be, be whoever you are because that's the thing that's going to set you apart from everyone else who sounds really clean and exactly the same. I'm totally jazzed to go do some auditions now. Oh, yeah. Get it. So... Let's kind of switch gears a little bit because you have done so much animation work and I would love to talk about how you kind of got into that. I feel like, you know, you're based in New York City and we always hear like, oh, it's, you know, animation's in L.A. or animation's not in New York City, but there is some here and you found your way into it. So give us a little sneak peek. Uh, Sure, totally. Yeah, I, I always I'd heard that, too. And I always wanted to do animation growing up like I, I loved cartoons like especially you know like cartoon superhero-y stuff I loved like you know Batman and Spider-Man and X-Men I watched all of those cartoons 
Um, I always wanted to do it. I just like never knew how and it never even occurred to me that I might have the opportunity to do it. And uh, a couple years ago now, three, three years and change, I got a message from uh, Jen Sukup, who's a casting director in the city, and she was casting the new Transformers series. And she hit me up and she asked me to like read for a couple roles. I knew nothing about Transformers. I was like, I'm a child of the 80s and I'm a total nerd, but like I'm embarrassed to say that I did not watch Transformers when I was a kid. After I got the part, I took myself to Transformers University, but that's, that's another part of the story. Yeah, so I read for a couple parts and uh, one of them was Bumblebee and they called me back a number of times. It was actually, it was sort of, an uphill battle because they were actually casting for two shows at the same time. They were casting for Rescue Bots Academy, which is geared more towards like preschool, kindergarten kind of kids, and Cyberverse, which is geared towards kind of older kids or like, you know, adults in their 30s. There were two different creative teams on both shows. So I guess Rescue Bots signed off on me and like they were totally cool, but then I had to like pass a whole new set of tests for another another creative team. So, but eventually uh, I got it. Uh, it was very exciting. It was extraordinarily daunting. I was very freaked out. Because also, like, I had no experience in animation, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm an actor. I've been doing acting and voiceovers for a long time, but I, I had no experience in animation. And I, like, the imposter syndrome kicked in. And I was just like, this is, like, an iconic character, in a billion dollar franchise, I was like, I, you know, I feel like they made a mistake. So I was, I was really freaked out, but everyone was very cool. All the producers were very cool. All the creatives were very cool. Everyone did a great job of, of holding my hand. And once I got through that first session, it just kind of clicked. I, I connect a lot with the character. From that point on, uh, I got a bunch more animation opportunities. Uh, I started doing like some Nickelodeon shows. Uh, I was on Pokemon, um, did some video games. So it's it just kind of snowballed. It's it's one of those things where, you know, work work begets work. So are you Bumblebee in both series? Yeah. So I'm Bumblebee in Rescue Bots Academy and Cyberverse. So how does that differ? Because you were saying like one is geared towards younger kids and one is geared towards adults or older kids. And I'm so curious, like, how do you take that same character, but, uh, you know, change it for the, the needs of the each show? Yeah. You know, um, it, it wasn't it was an interesting conundrum because, uh, I mean, much like a lot of these characters, you know, your Batman, Superman's the general beats of the character remain the same. I mean, like, Spider- Spider-Man is always going to be quippy and Batman's always going to be moody. Actually, I channeled some of uh, Batman from the Batman the Animated Series for one of the, one of the characters I did on, on Transformers. Uh, I made him a little bit of Batman and a little bit of, like, Doctor Who and a little bit of Spock. Uh, but Kevin Conroy has, like, been the voice of Batman forever. So I just channeled him. I was like, you two, come with me now. I love it. But yeah, so the general beats are the same. Basically, like, I played him a little more uh, youthful in Cyberverse because he was surrounded by bigger, badder robots, and he was sort of like the plucky, younger, comic relief kind of thing. Uh, but in Rescue Bots Academy, he's, he is one of the older robots. So I gave him more of a grounded, big brother kind of character. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's so cool. 
I've never talked to anyone who's had to do the same character, but in two different series. So that's really interesting. Was this, forgive my not knowing, is Bumblebee a character from the 80s, like from previous incarnations that you had to sort of voice match? He, yeah, Bumblebee has been around since the beginning. He, he wasn't like the biggest character in the 80s, but like over time because he was sort of like the smaller, the younger of the Transformers, I guess the kids kind of like gravitated more towards him because they saw, you know, they saw themselves uh, more in Bumblebee than they did in Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think I am like the sixth person to play Bumblebee. So I went back and I watched all of the old series. I did a ton of research. Every actor who's ever taken on Bumblebee has had kind of a different take on it. Like, again, the same the same general beats of, like, who this character is, but sometimes he's kind of snarkier. Sometimes he's a little whinier. Sometimes he's more of a leader. Sometimes he's, like, more of a youthful follower. So I kind of, like, cherry-picked aspects of him from other people's performances to concoct my own take that worked in the context of this series. So they didn't really care that you were closely, like, a voice match. I, I wouldn't, I mean, I didn't voice match. I, I think part of the part of the reason I got my foot in the door is because they were looking for someone who wouldn't match Will Friedle. Will Friedle was the guy who played Bumblebee before me. He's like prolific. I mean, he, he did play Batman in Batman Beyond. He played Lion-O in the Thundercats reboot. He is Star-Lord in the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon right now. Wow. Uh, he was Ron Stoppable in the Kim... Uh, Kim Possible series. So he was something of a hero of mine. So <laughs> that was, you know, no pressure. But I do, like, I, I kind of naturally sound like Will Friedle. So when, when casting was looking for someone, they used him as a basis, um, which is kind of how my name came up. Have you had to record any of this during COVID? Uh, yes. I have had to. But things... Uh, well, I recorded the, so we did a video game. I recorded the video game from home, which was interesting. It sounds great. I mean, I, I saw it. It's like, it's totally fine. But I know it was like everyone was really freaked out because the video game production company wasn't sure that people could record quality audio from, from their houses. So everyone, there was uh, a moment when they considered uh, recasting everyone uh, for an LA cast because all most of us are New York based, um, and they thought maybe they could sneak them into the studio in LA, and so we had to, uh, which was yeah, which was very scary. Um, but then we did a bunch of like sound tests, and they're like, oh yeah, 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 no, this sounds fine. And then we just recorded two Cyberverse movies, actually made for TV movies. We went into the studio for that, but. All of the studios now have, like, SAG guidelines that they need to stick to. They're crazy. I mean, I, I felt super safe. I mean, honestly, like, if you need to go to a place of business, a glass isolation booth is pretty much as safe as it gets. So I, I felt totally safe, and they say that no other actor is supposed to be in the booth for 48 hours before you. I don't know how that's even possible, but, yeah, they take an insane amount of precautions I've, I've gone into the studio for other stuff that I'm working on now, too. I, I feel totally fine. I, feel, I, I personally feel very safe. Well, that's good. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what will happen on the other side of all of this if the kind of home studio record 
not only for auditions, but for bookings will stay or if people for both things are going to be just so excited to, you know, get back in person, have that human connection again, whether it's even just for an audition to be directed or to direct an audition or a booking. So I'm curious to see where where things will head. I am very curious myself. I mean, I do think in general people want to get out of their closets. It gets a little little stuffy in here. The logistics of that might be kind of an uphill battle. And also, like, I think a lot of producers have figured out it's a lot cheaper to do it this way. And so, yeah, I'm 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 not really sure which direction it's going to go. I would I would love to get back in the studio. I would love to start working with casting directors directly again. I would love to see my friends in the audition waiting room. I'd love to get out of my house. So I'm really hoping it goes that way, but I think, um, you know, we all need to be prepared one way or the other. Yeah. In the before times or real life, do you guys record as an ensemble, like in the booth with other people, or do you just do your lines and then somebody else does theirs and they, they piece it all together later? We record separately and they piece it all together later. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would rather uh, record with other people. I think more, I, I mean, in L.A. they do that a lot more because they have the space for it. So I know that happens a lot more there. But also, like, I, I think just, like, the logistics of, of getting eight to ten people together at the same time, I think it's easier just to work around other people's schedules. You know, it's, it, could be, it could be really challenging when I talk to people about it because you, ha- you have to play all the parts. I mean, you need to hear everyone else's voice in your heads. You have to, you, there's some casting directors who will hop in the booth with you and will read the other lines op, opposite you, which is great. I adore that. Um, but if you don't have that, I mean, you need to react to an imaginary person. And it could, it's increasingly challenging, you know, when you already have to use your imagination against all odds to bring this character to life. Because, you know, you're, you're not on stage, you're not in costume, you're not on a set, you're not opposite other people. So, you know, it's you really have to work hard to delude yourself into thinking that you are this character in this moment in time. So working by yourself makes that a bit harder. But also the upshot is you don't have to worry quite so much about screwing up, you know, like screwing up your line, because if you're doing a live read, basically, you know, if everyone's recording at the same time, it is it's a little bit like live theater, you know, like, yeah, you can mess up your line and you know, we can stop and fix it and go back. But, like, you're kind of messing up the flow. There's, like, there's more pressure to get it right in the moment. When you're by yourself, you can, you know, save the line as many times as you want. You can experiment. You can try stuff. You can screw up. So there's kind of a lot less pressure doing it that way. Hmm. That's interesting. I never thought of it like that. But, yeah, I see that. Do you record before animation? Or is it already animated? Or are you recording it beforehand and then they're going to animate to you? Um, it depends on what the project is. Um, so there's, there's prelay and there's dubbing. Um, so prelay, you are originating the voice of the character. You are recording before there's picture. Now there's usually like animatics or some sort of a scratch. Uh, so you can get kind of a reference of, of what's going on. But I also do like some dubbing. I'm not great at it. Dubbing is a, is a whole another animal because, you know, at that point, the animation exists and it's it's generally locked. So you are recording your performance to what's on the screen. 
Um, so it's a lot more technical. It, it requires like sort of more skills uh, in addition to just performing. I think it's a lot harder. Yeah, we talked about dubbing with um, Michael Crouch and Lindsay Shepard as well. They both do a lot of dubbing. Yeah, my my hat's off to them because I mean they're they're like some people do a lot of that stuff. Like that's really their bread and butter, and that's why they keep getting hired is because. You know, you can come in and you can nail the performance and really screw up the timing, or you could be really good at getting the timing and not nailing the performance. And there's not a lot of people who can do both. And the people who can, they work a lot. Yeah. Um, How does it feel to have fans? (laughs) It is really weird. Um, It is is really, really weird. I, I don't always know how to feel about it um i i mean i'm i'm super grateful and i i I try to remember like how i was when when i was a kid and i had all of my heroes um so i try to act in accordance with the way i wish my heroes uh would interact with me and especially now you know with with twitter and social media you have the ability to connect with people you know like you couldn't when you know when i was growing up which is like, you know, has its ups and downs. Yes. Because like, I think someone, uh, someone found my home address. Ooh. Um, yeah, someone found my home address, and it like must have been traded in like a bunch of like message boards somewhere. Because I had this rash of people sending me stuff to sign, which you know, which is fine. I'm, I'm more than happy to sign stuff, but it's like a little invasive when people are sending stuff. Yeah. To your house and. They're not really leaving you a choice because if they're crazy, they also know where you live. Yeah. So you're like that. You kind of have to uh, kind of have to acquiesce. So that stuff uh, has been kind of interesting. But also, like you know, I, I've gotten a bunch of requests from high schoolers who are like doing projects on what they want to be when they grow up. So actually, I have an interview tomorrow with a high school student, and he's interviewing me about uh, my experiences and how I got to where I got. Um, so that kind of stuff's great. I mean, I, I love to like, you know, reach out to people and think about myself when I was their age. I love that. I don't love that people know where you live. That that feels a little... Well, joke's on them. I've actually since moved. Um, <laughs> so joke's on them. But like, yeah, that was... Uh, I actually, I, I, I reached out to some other actors I know. I won't say their name. Uh, but, you know, they're, they've been doing this longer than I have. They've played more iconic characters for longer and asked them if they had that problem and they said oh yeah and they like they pay for a service that basically removes them from the internet um which i have thought about doing too but you know like that's not the kind of stuff that i like to focus on there's a kid uh whitaker and he last one of my friends like tipped me off to this because there was this big article in i think he's in like dc kind of area and um he is a young boy who survived cancer, and it was his birthday, and he loves Bumblebee. So his parents are super sweet, and they called out to everyone who has a yellow car, everyone like in the country who has a yellow car. And their dream was for Whitaker to turn the corner and just see an endless lane of yellow cars as he like walked to school. Um, it was the sweetest thing. It would like made national news. They're all great. So I saw it. So I contacted them and I was just like, you know, would 
would he like to talk to Bumblebee? Bumble, Bumblebee would love to talk to him. So I got to call him and it was it was amazing. I mean, it, it was it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And now he's like my surrogate son because now I talk to his mom all the time. And every time Whitaker doesn't eat his vegetables, he gets a message from Bumblebee. Oh. Uh, telling him to eat his vegetables. He had some trouble last week because he started in school learning and it was a rough transition for him. So he got a call from Bumblebee, kind of giving him a pep talk, letting, letting him know it's going to be okay. So like that stuff is like, that's the best stuff. I mean, you know. Oh my gosh, that makes me <laughs> want to cry. How cool for that kid. <laughs> oh yeah, he's going he's gonna to get a call from Bumblebee the day he walks down the aisle. That is amazing. Please keep in touch with them that long. That is incredible. <laughs> I totally will. Yeah, it's great. I mean, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to make millions of dollars going to huge swanky animation parties, but like, I get, I get to do that. And that's, that's the best part, hands down. That's the magic. That's, that's, that's why we do this on, on some level. Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit, mm-hmm. what other genres do you work in? Um, so I do a, a lot of commercial stuff. I would say that is my bread and butter. Um, I do some promo stuff. I've been starting to do more promo stuff. I do like some like explainer video stuff and like some pitches and stuff like that. But it's mostly like commercial promo and animation stuff. So how do commercials and promos differ? Um, so promos are kind of different from commercials in that they're promoting something that's not going to be happening for a very long time. So like if you're doing commercials for like a product, it, that product could be around forever. They could run that commercial forever. Uh, promos usually promoting some sort of like event that's going to happen at a very specific time, uh, a specific episode of a specific show. So like almost no promo you do is going to last more than a week, I guess. So they're like kind of flash in the pan. So it's sort of a more immediate form of advertising. Yeah. So what, how is the style of that different from a commercial read? Or is it anymore? Um, I, I think it is. I think I think it's it's inherently more selly because it's more again, it's like it's more immediate. It's like eyes on this right now. Um, and you have less time to make your point. So like, you know, you have to like get in, get out, really, really milk the drama of the situation or the humor of the situation. So I think it's it's a little it's a little more overt. Uh, you know, like in commercial, they're they're always saying like, no announcers, we don't want announcers, we want real people. And I think to some extent that's that's still true with promos, but also like they kind of want announcers. <laughs> they want they want like big kind of aggro voices that are really going to drive the point home quickly. Uh, I mean, sometimes you know, I, I actually I had an audition for one this morning, and they were like, "Yeah, like we we do want we want someone who's commanding and has energy, but we want to hear like their humanity peeking through." Which again, it's kind of like harkens back to the stuff we talked about before, like being a real person. Um, having those imperfections uh, and telling the truth. I think like that's for me, that's the hardest part for promos is like we we've heard so many promos growing up and all of those intonations are stuck in our heads. So it's it's hard. It's really hard to break out of those, you know. Yeah. And promo is kind of fast and furious. Like you might get a, a call like today, like, hey, we need an updated promo for the nightly news or something like that. 
Yeah. So I was doing promos for a TBS show last summer um, called Celebrity Show Off. And I was basically on call. You know, I, if I went anywhere, and it was like summer, so, you know, we, my girlfriend and I were trying to get away every now and again. But yeah, we had, to, I, we had to bring gear wherever we went. We never know. We never knew when we'd get a call. I got a call. We were hiking in the mountains, and I got a call that was like, you know, you need to come. They need this now, like by five o'clock. So yeah, it's 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 a different animal in that like it's each promo is is short, but it's it can be a lot of work, especially like if you become the voice of something, if you become the voice of a show, uh, of a network. Um, it's great. I mean, like that, that's that's the dream. You can you can you can do very well. I love the image of you just like hiking in the mountains, like with your gear, like with your microphone. You're like, hang on, let me go to this tree. Also. First of all, the the image of me hiking in in the mountains is inherently funny. Well, yes, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> the listeners don't know you as well as I do. I understand. I mean, that's that's funny on its face, but then when you when you add in my gear, I love that. Well, I would love to end with a piece of advice that you would give yourself starting out, or your favorite piece of advice to give to to newbies who are just starting their voiceover journeys. Ooh. That is very good. I mean, you know, the, the first thing I, I always say to everyone is, is get your education, um, is to learn about it. It's harder than you think. Uh, it, takes, it takes a while to find who you are. It takes a while to, like, find yourself in the art and in, and in the process. But I think kind of like what we talked about before, I think the, the most important thing is finding out what makes you you what makes you unique, what makes you a celebrity, and embracing that and using that to set yourself apart from the pack. Well, thank you for being here today, Jeremy. I loved getting to talk to you and and hear all about all the different things and plus so much motivational advice. I really feel like I'm like ready to go like hit stop and go record some auditions and be a celebrity. <laughs> Go do it. Go do it, Steph. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, I love you. I love that you're doing this. This is awesome. And uh, I can't wait to hear your voice either on the telephone or on the television. What a great way to end season one. I love the ideas that Jeremy had about ways to get out of your head, like basement dancing in your booth to give you freedom to play or pretending that you are the celebrity they're looking for, which gives you the confidence to bring your unique self to the reads. Such a great way to think about it. If you'd like to learn more about Jeremy, I'm linking his website and socials in the show notes, which you can find at my website, www.stephaniepamroberts.com podcast. And please follow me on Instagram too, at stephaniepamrobertsvo. Thank you so much for listening. And here's a little preview of next week's episode. Actually, it's still me. Next week, I'll be sharing a wrap-up episode with my takeaways from season one. And I'll also be sharing details about season two, which is already in the works with some pretty incredible guests who aren't actually voice actors. Instead, they're people behind the mic, like sound engineers, agents, casting directors, animation directors, and more. And they all have valuable insights for those of us in front of the mic. So tune in to find out more. Next time on Making It to the Mic.